Hello. Hello. I'm Justin. I'm Allison. And this is Robots on Typewriters, episode number 63. No, it's 62. Five. Two. 62. Five? Why would you go to five? Episode number five. <laughs> episode number 62. One for every... Uh, uh, I don't know. One don't for every know. hockey There's... team twice. What? There's 31 there's... hockey teams. That seems like not enough. They're about to add one more. Okay. Will that be enough? <laughs> yeah. You are insatiable. How many <laughs> hockey teams do you need? It's not enough. I need 20 more, more on my desk by tomorrow. <laughs> I mean, I just don't understand. Like, sp- like, how many football teams are there? 32. Are you kidding me? I would have, if, if you asked me how many teams there are of any kind of sport, I would have said 100. All right. Like, so it's complicated, right? There's 32 professional teams. Then there's like a million college teams. Right. I'm talking about, I would have said there were 100 professional teams. Nah, there's 32. Wacky. All like, right, where's anyway. the nearest professional team to where you live? Probably in what D.C. I know, yeah. Like, that's a that's a decently far, like, journey. If everyone is that far from a team, there's only, like, there can't be a hundred. <laughs> Why not? Like, you would have one right down the road if there were that many. There would, <laughs> be, a, like, there would be a team that practices in your kitchen if they if had that If you told me that there was, I would believe you. I, like... <laughs> I have no idea. Like, I thought maybe that there is this, like, underground tier of professional teams that nobody talks about ever. Mm, yeah, the like Chesapeake pro- uh, Rastafarians playing in yeah. third-tier football. Exactly. Can barely sell out a popcorn factory. <laughs> you know, where they play football. <laughs> Let alone a football stadium. <laughs> anyway, what are we doing here? What is this? This is, oh, I'm glad you asked, but I think it might be your turn to answer. I, it might be, but it's your hat, but that's all Uh, I'll answer then. I'm glad (laughs) I interrupted both of us. (laughs) This is Robots on Typewriters, a podcast all about computational creativity. We look all over the web to find creative, inspiring, funny uses of computers, algorithms, artificial intelligence, Stuff like that, stuff that tickles our fancy, and we then use some of those things to make our own games. The first segment is our zesty hat, where we highlight some cool computational creativity from around the web, and the second segment is the trashy toy, where we play one of those games. And this week, it's my turn to deliver the zesty hat. I just had a moment of like, man, can we talk about those chairs again? I loved those chairs. Yeah, the zesty hat's just those chairs again. <laughs> they were so good. Anyway, what's uh, this hat? week's zesty hat? I have kind of three mini hats, uh, Ooh, sombreros tapas, if you will. <laughs> so first of all, I have a hat that was uh, alluded to, spoiled, teased on this very podcast, uh, probably oh. like five months ago yeah and that is janelle shane's new book you look like a thing and i love you yeah i'm so excited for this i meant to pre-order it haven't yet will do i pre-ordered mine you fake fan oh, no. <laughs> um, I, I promise you look like a thing and i love you is the forthcoming book by ai weirdness blog master janelle shane 
why don't I go ahead and read the description right from Please. Amazon? AI is everywhere. It powers the auto text function of your phone, helps Google Translate understand the complexity of language, and interprets your behavior to decide which of your friend's Facebook posts you most want to see in the coming years. It'll perform medical... Nope. Which of, <laughs> which of your friend's Facebook posts you most want to see? Period. In the coming years, it'll perform medical diagnoses and drive your car. <laughs> Maybe even help our authors write the first lines of their novels. But how does it actually work? Scientist and engineer Janelle Shane is the go-to contributor about computer science for the New York Times, Slate, and the New Yorker. Through her hilarious experiments, real-world examples, and illuminating cartoons, she explains how AI understands our world and what it gets wrong. More than just a working knowledge of AI, she hands readers the tools to be skeptical about claims of a smarter future. A comprehensive study of the cutting-edge technology that will soon power our world, You Look Like a Thing and I Love You, is an accessible, hilarious exploration of the future of technology and society. It's Astrophysics for People in a Harry meets Thing Explainer, an approachable guide to fascinating scientific topics presented with clarity, levity, and brevity by an expert in the field with a powerful and growing platform. Oh, I'm so excited for this. Yeah, I've been excited since Janelle told us that this was coming, and I'm even more excited now to get a better understanding of what yeah. the throw of the book is. Um, yeah. I don't know why I thought it was like a coffee table book of AI weirdness posts. <laughs> it is not that. It's like an actual book a book. 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 Um, I saw on I saw on Twitter she uh, she got a bunch of um, you know like advanced copies delivered and she was really excited about it and she was flipping through and was um, saying that she uh, had the desire for on every page to be at least like some kind of illustration or like or like demonstration of uh, of AI kind of so it's that's like, awesome yeah if you like see that some of the like she posted pictures of some of the pages you can see how it's like every page is like not just a wall of text it's like broken up by something being like you know exemplified or illustrated and it looks it just it looks so so good yeah this book definitely has me excited um you can pre-order it now yeah and you should pre-order it now yeah pre-ordering is like so important for for authors getting on like bestseller lists and stuff Mm, like that so important that you haven't done it I'm gonna, I'll do it right now. Watch me, I'll do it right now. Hell yeah. <laughs> but it really, yeah, no, definitely pre-order it um, to support Janelle because it's, pre-ordering ends up meaning a lot for, you know, the visibility of it in the long run. Yeah, I think both us and a lot of other kind of casual fans of uh, computational creativity can say we wouldn't be as into this stuff as we were without Janelle. So it's sure. super exciting that she has this book coming up. Yeah. And it's, of course, named after one of our favorite old AI weirdness posts. <laughs> yes. If you don't know what the name comes from, uh, look for the AI weirdness posts about uh, pickup lines from Valentine's Day a couple of years ago. It was fantastic, and it'll give you an even better flavor of uh, what kind of funny AI Janelle can present. Yeah. The second of my trio of hat tapas is... One that would have really fit in well last week that Allison mm-hmm. showed me uh, just after we had recorded last week's episode uh, at metal band underscore exe, oh, right. <laughs> a yeah. Twitter account that generates metal band names. <laughs> we are a week late, uh, but 
it's a pretty great account, so I figured it's still worth the shout out. Yeah. It's been tweeting away once every four hours since 2015, which is yeah. uh, a, a very long tenured Twitter bot as far it as really bots is, go. Yeah. Uh, I'll give you some, and for all of the names, not only does it have the name, but then it renders it in like a metal band font, so it kind of gives them like a, a logo. Uh, some of its most recent tweets include Bath Dragon. I like that. I like that a lot. Um, Funeral of the Wolves. <laughs> wow, very intense. Murderous Winter. Murderous Ever. Snake Murderers. <laughs> Gods of the Filthy Damned. <laughs> and Brutal Forgotten Worm. Oh, those last two were very chief. Yeah. They... Did it say how this they're being uh, created? Uh, no. Oh. Well, yes, but I haven't oh. read it. Okay. <laughs> uh, this is made by Mike Watson, who on his homepage has an explainer. <laughs> wow, that came out really well. <laughs> has uh, has some documentation about metalband.exe. So uh, you can probably guess how the name is being made. There's some like templates for names and mm. lists of words that fit. So it picks a name in kind of the usual Twitter bot ways. Okay. And then for the image, it just picks one of four background colors, picks okay. uh, one of a few different fonts, and then just generates the image. Um, it's really kind of simple in concept and makes a really fun output that it kind of goes beyond like my version of that bot might be able to give you the name but wouldn't be able to render you the funny logo too so it goes beyond what i think uh a lot of twitter bots yeah simple twitter bots like that do and yeah. the write-up of it's pretty fantastic and it looks like mike watson has uh a really good website that writes up a bunch of twitter bots and oh other cool. pieces of software that might be fun nice and finally I have a quick hat about um, it kind of a, uh, not a callback. Yeah, I guess a callback. No, kind of, yeah, a callback. Don't call it a callback. Don't, don't come at a callback. <laughs> don't I have a, callback. A, a quick article paper that reflects back on a hat I gave us a couple of months ago. Uh, I talked a while ago about a paper that said an AI, training an AI model can consume it can admit as much carbon as five cars in their lifetimes mm. so i talked about how that paper was um it sounds pessimistic on its surface but then also gives you some optimism of how we can do better in the ai field mm -hmm. at like not making ai that's incredibly expensive and uh energy consuming yeah so the allen institute the seattle AI Institute kind of coming off of Microsoft and uh, as well as Carnegie Mellon and the University of Washington. Some AI researchers from those three places wrote a paper just uh, just this month, just this past month called Green AI, mm. talking about how we can combat the cost and the environmental cost of AI. And one of their main things that they call for in this paper is that all future AI publications and uh, funding applications publish the financial and computational costs of training their models. So when you report the results of your model, you don't just say it had, you know, X error rate and 
did this much better than GPT-2 mm-hmm. or whatever, but you mm-hmm. also have to say how much all the hardware costs you and how much oh. energy it consumed to run. Um, I think this is a really good idea as someone who reads a lot of AI papers because uh, currently the way AI papers are kind of evaluated uh, for publication or for funding is does this beat the current state of the art? Does this have a lower okay, error yeah. rate? Does this produce you know sentences that people deem more uh, believable? That sort of thing. But it's always about beating the current state of the art. If we just make uh, financial numbers and energy consumption numbers part of that state of the art, uh, we won't just have a race to have the best, most powerful AI, but we'll also have researchers racing to have the cheapest AI and the AI that people can, uh, that can be trained in the most environmentally friendly ways. Yeah, that's very interesting. That's Yeah, it's really good to know that like the top, top places for this stuff are thinking deeply about this, that this is a problem we're, yeah. uh, as a field, tackling now and not, you know, 10 years from now <laughs> yeah. saying, God, I wish we uh, wish we didn't do all that, huh? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, so that's that. You can find that paper. Um, this I found it through a technologyreview.com article saying, AI researchers need to stop hiding the climate toll of their work mm-hmm. or for a less grabby headline. Um, <laughs> it's on archive. It's just called Green AI. Um, you'll probably see it floating around quite a bit uh, in the coming weeks and months if you're into this stuff. So yeah, go check that out. Nice. Oh, I should say that that paper is uh, the authors of those of that paper are Roy Schwartz, Jesse Dodge, Noah A. Smith, and Oren Etzioni. Well, thank you for those hats. Those were lovely little hats. Um, Love a little hat. Lovely little <laughs> hat. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, that is going to take us on into our trashy toy this week, which I am uh, going to be at the helm of. And um, after, a, after a brief respite, we're returning to our new favorite tool, Transformers. We're going to be using yes. Right with Transformer today. We're going to be uh, doing a variation of a game that we played before when we were first playing with Transformers, where um, I was feeding uh, Talk to Transformer a the first line or two of a popular movie's uh, Wikipedia article or description or something, and then uh, reading out what it came up with, and then Justin had to guess what movie it was possibly talking about. And we're going to do that same thing, but this time with literature. We're going to do it with some of the most popular books ever out there, you know, in English literature. And, um, yeah, we are going to, uh, we're going to do that right now (laughs) um you know sometimes we wait this time we're doing it right now um how do you feel about literature compared to movies when it comes to your expertise much worse um (laughs) that's what i I probably have a working knowledge of like the titles and some of the authors of like books on a list of famous books sure that's about it gonna be using right with transformer um, which is, oof. Right with Transformer is a tool by Hugging Face, an AI company, g- collective. I don't really know <laughs> what Hugging Face is, but they make Right with Transformer, which uses uh, GPT-2, the language model by OpenAI, to help you write things. You can just write a bunch of stuff, and then when you're ready for the Transformer to hop in and take over, you hit tab, and it suggests a bunch of text for you. 
You can kind of take turns collaboratively writing with GPT-2. GPT-2, of course, is the transformer made by OpenAI. Transformers are like a really uh, high-level kind of neural network that uses uh, attention. Instead of just the order words are in, it tries to pick out important words and helps uh, build new generated sentences and phrases uh, using source texts or just using the wide English language it was trained on. So the thing about, so write with transformer is um, different from talk to transformer in that you kind of, you you kind of pick and choose. uh, It gives you some options and you kind of write with it at like you, you uh, choose its direction. Um, And uh, so, so uh, like the movies, um, I'm going to omit any names or references that would be too, too overt in uh, what the book is. Um, so we're, we're gonna start, we're gonna start with this one, and I might not omit something, well, okay. Do whatever you have to do. (laughs) This was done with the help of, quote, a simple guide to writing in a beautiful language, 1897, published by the Alice Publishing Company in collaboration with blank. One of the biggest breakthroughs in the development of language was the binomial system. This was the first to introduce the idea of a simple binary system, which would allow programmers to use one of their own words as a predicate. The most important aspect of the novel is that the character, blank, is not quite so simple in the eyes of her author. She is quite simple in the eyes of a computer programmer, and she can use most of the same language as she used in her previous books. Okay, yep. You can you can start guessing. I might. Keep I have going. I have a suspicion actually. Okay. Um, I can't help but think that this is Pygmalion. It is not. That that is or a my really fair good lady. Guess. Which of those is the book and which is the musical? Uh, my fair know. lady is the musical. Yes. Um. <laughs> Do go on. So what I'm, I thought. Yeah. Let me let me walk myself through that. It was going back and forth between talking about a <laughs> simple female protagonist in a mm. book and computer programming. Yeah. I thought, what is the overlap there? Eliza. Fish oh, bash bosh. Okay. Nope. Here, I'm, no, not at all. I'm going to continue a bit. Her first task is to find the best way to use her mind to write down things in a language that would help her in such a situation. In a few <laughs> words. <laughs> That's a really good description of learning how to write. <laughs> in a few words, Alice is a, quote, Big girl, parentheses, as if she were a, quote, Ayn Rand girl. Okay, I think this is Alice in Wonderland. <laughs> it is! Oh, I said Alice. You I was did t- say <laughs> Alice, but I was already kind of uh, starting to think that. Oh, okay, well, why? <laughs> uh, well, just, I don't know, the years that okay, she's yeah. a, you know, it seemed like she was a, a young girl. Yeah, she is. She's a big girl. As well, if she's she a were, big girl, an Ayn Rand girl. An Ayn Rand girl. The Ayn Rand girls is a gang I do not want to run into ever. <laughs> it's like I feel like it's is it like the opposite of a manic pixie dream girl. <laughs> a stoic, uh, <laughs> stoic business like Ayn Rand girl. Okay. Oh, and I should say that it, it wasn't it wasn't Alice in Wonderland. It was Alice Alice's in Wonderland. Adventures in Wonderland. It was Alice in Wonderland's monster through the looking glass. <sighs> Fucking hell. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The main character of the book, played by Jason Lanier, is the 
I'm not going to say that. In a future where the United States of America is facing an apocalypse and the United States must intervene in order to save America. <laughs> wow. Um, blank will soon turn the tides of event in America. Blank has been used for more than a dozen other science fiction books and movies. It's been used on Star Trek and The Avengers. It's also been used on The Simpsons. The author, William F. Buckley not the author, said okay. in 1994 that it was his first book to, quote, have such a title which would be a fitting name for a fictional setting. The author, who had worked on the Star Trek films before starting The Walking Dead, said, "This is the rest of this is a quote, a few years ago I was writing about a very cold winter in the United States. It was the last of the colder, coldest winter of the decade, and this was the last of that. So the place was freezing. The people on the <laughs> island... <laughs> The people on the island were getting frostbite. The sun was setting. We were all feeling very bad. I really like that this is in a universe where, like, the last cold, like, <laughs> nuclear winter or whatever has happened, but he still has to explain it. Like, it was the last, last winter, so, you know, people were freezing. <laughs> the place was freezing. Uh, it was, getting... like, so cold. <laughs> Are you getting anything from this? Uh, yeah. All so right. I'm, I'm getting that it's like a, like, a well, I'm thinking it's like an apocalypse kind of book. Okay. Uh, that's in America. And I'm trying to remember that stupid book title. I feel that. like I know what you're talking about because I feel like I'm getting the idea of that from this. <laughs> Are you talking and about it's the wrong. road? No. Oh, okay. I'm talking... Uh, I think it's set in, like, the American Southwest. It's, like, a real classic novel that I should know. Is it not Brave New... Are you talking about Brave New... Yeah, Brave New World. Oh, okay. Okay. It's not that either. Okay. Um, uh, One of the characters in this book... (laughs) Dr. John Travolta was originally originally a scientist who had been working on an experiment that would use a nuclear fusion reactor. Okay, it's like a post-nuclear kind of book. Um, uh, the scientist had been recently found, the scientist had recently found some of the world's most advanced superconducting molecules, the ones that can carry out most powerful quantum mechanics. I'm thinking it's a sci-fi book now. That's good. Uh, like, uh, the time machine? Yeah, you did it! (laughs) Hell yeah, really? (laughs) Yeah! Uh, the first line, I didn't want to tip you off to time too early, because the first line that it wrote was, the main character of the book, played by J- uh, by- oh, sorry, I said Jason earlier, it's Jaron? J-A-R-O-N? Jaron Lanier is the Time Lord in a future where the United States, uh, I thought that would have also just led you astray, but yeah, it's the Time Machine by H.G. Wells. Hell yeah. Also not an American. Definitely not. Yeah, I was right that Brave New World is in New Mexico. Okay, I and has some nuclear stuff going on. I, I think. don't know literally anything about Brave New World except for the title. In the story, Dolores meets a woman named Dolores who believes that she and her younger sister have been taken from their home in a state of hypnosis. As Dolores finds out about Hayes and his sister, the two are suddenly forced to become ob- <laughs> to become obsessed with each other. They end up getting wow. married. Dolores and Hayes live happily ever after, but the novel is also a parody of a film based on the novel by Aleister Crowley. It is said to be an adventure of an imagined fantasy fantasy novel series, and it was translated into Russian by the Russian author Dmitry Zukov. All right, I have a pretty strong suspicion here. Okay. Is this Lolita? It is, yep. (laughs) All right. Russian. Yeah. A female protagonist. 
Dolores. Yeah. Boom. <laughs> Alistair Crowley. Al- boom. <laughs> boom. <laughs> okay. As part of his plans to prevent blank from spreading the the blank and the ensuing conflict, Van Helsing has been searching for a small lizard named Blank. This lizard, <laughs> which has an ancient, ancient past and has long been known p- to possess magical powers, was one of the original inhabitants of the area and traveled to Vilford, where the evil and dead were brought. This lizard, however, is actually a very primitive lizard, and his plans for his world have been thwarted. The lizard, <laughs> the lizard is also have been known to take many forms, which also includes the monstrous, hideous, and horrible demon forms of the human-like monsters called vampires. All right, uh, that's just reading right from the Wikipedia synopsis of Dracula. <laughs> it is. There, yeah, uh, as as part of his plans to prevent Dracula from spreading the vampire curse and the ensuing conflict, Van Helsing has been searching for a small lizard named Dracula. <laughs> <laughs> I really like that the lizard is too primitive for his plans. He's to... ancient. He's an ancient, ancient lizard, but yeah, he's too primitive. For... <laughs> his plans for the world have been thwarted. What would a lizard's plans for the world be? Like warm rock and some leaves? Yeah, thwarted. He's too primitive for that? Yeah, thwarted. Thwarted. Wow, we're, we're speaking in the author's voice in this one. Ooh, I like that. I'll, I'll start here. This is, okay. This film is, <laughs> this film is not a novel, but rather a series of short stories. <laughs> this film is not a novel, but it is a series of short stories. Um... That reveal the real life of Victim of Violence, a film by the same title, a black man who, by his own account, uses his body as a shield against his own anger. In the book I spoke about this film, I talked about... In the book I spoke about this film, comma, I talked about how I was in the same boat as this black man in The Shining, who used his body as a shield to resist and be brave. I also talked about how I, as the author of my novel, were influenced... I were influenced <laughs> I were. by the film, who was, who was one of the main inspirations for it. So why are we doing a book about this movie instead of a novel that is about the history of black men being used by state officials as human shields to teach children and adults about these atrocities, to make them aware that they are part of a larger struggle that the state should fight? Why is the book about these two different events more different from one another than the one about the other? <laughs> got anything well this interview went off the rails uh is that invisible man it is not Hmm. oh there's an answer to these questions because i wanted to bring this story together oh okay that clears everything up i wanted to get people interested it was Uh, not a novel in case you've forgotten it was not my life it is not a movie it is not an adventure movie (laughs) that really let me cut you off before you think any of these things (laughs) there's a lot of things i thought this might be but did you think it was the first film i made because it was not the first film i made (laughs) i'm thinking that this must be mm, (laughs) uh, color purple nope it was not a screenplay (laughs) okay that rules that out too it was not a picture book i was not the director (laughs) (laughs) who are you how did you get in here it wasn't a story about me telling the story. God, we're just, we're down a path now. I was just a character who had a story. And a story which I would like to tell in the film. Oh, and that film is? 
Uh, you tell me. What do you think it is? Uh, is it To Kill a Mockingbird? No, we're, yeah, this went down a really bad path. Um, let me see if I can get us back on track a little bit. I think we're too far gone. All right, <clears throat> going back. <laughs> he's not just a violent jerk, but a, per a real person who feels like he's going to die for the rights of all those he loves. He doesn't care about being a normal human being anymore and is simply looking for a better life for himself and his family. The title of the novel is a nod to the late famous Catherine Gumner Gummer's The Man in the Mirror. <laughs> this was probably a bit of an exaggeration as Gummer was a famous writer and director. I'm, I'm not quite sure why the novel is so popular and is one of the last books written about this subject by an American artist. Okay. Um, is this The Grapes of Wrath? It is not, but stick with fruit. And I'll read again the first the first phrase. He's not just a violent jerk. A clockwork orange? <laughs> yes. All right. <laughs> yeah, that really got off the rails. Uh, it's not a movie, not my life, not a novel, not a screenplay. <laughs> Not so was am play. I to imagine that was like Stanley Kubrick yelling all that? I I think so, probably. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that makes more sense in that how like <laughs> yeah. paranoid and uh, aggressive the whole thing was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> After having their wealth cut off. Their children begin to lose faith, and they seek revenge. The first of the children of the family is a girl named Elizabeth, who has come to live with the family on a plantation. A few months before she leaves the plantation, the son of the plantation owner and the son of the plantation owner's daughter, parentheses, both deceased, comes to visit. <laughs> oh, I like that. <laughs> the father, father of the children is the wife of his son. The children. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me parse that. It's the father get, of the children. It's going to get worse. The wife of his. Okay. Yep. <laughs> the children's children are the wife, daughter, mother, and grandmother of a former Confederate general named Alexander Hamilton and his son Andrew. <laughs> Oh man, I like that too. When the father of the children enters the house, the eldest, William of Randolph, is a man Ooh. with <laughs> is a man with the same is a man with the name of a friend of Alexander Hamilton, a former Confederate general who had served as the governor of Virginia. When William and Mary go to see Alexander Hamilton, he introduces them to a man named George A. Rogers, who is the <laughs> Who is the father of two grandchildren? <laughs> I mean, if you're the father of two children, you are the father of two grandchildren. It's true. <laughs> All right, so... Anything? So let me talk through a little okay. bit first. There's a lot of, like, <laughs> historical names there. There's Alexander Hamilton, there's Confederate generals, there's William and Mary. Mm -hmm. um, it's giving me some, like... Like, this seems like it's set in, like, the South yeah, in yeah, some yeah. kind of historical kind of time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it sounds a little bit like it could be To Kill a Mockingbird. Oh, no, it's not. But it could also be something <laughs> more historical timed. It could uh, be. I was thinking of Grapes of Wrath, but that mm. I said that last time, so you wouldn't just do that. Correct. East of Eden was a book. Mm, no. I can tell you for a yes, fact. Yes, it was. We've been... <laughs> no, it's... I, I don't think so. Um... <laughs> <laughs> really good Lauren Lapkus. Oh, thank you. Um, <laughs> didn't know I was doing it. Uh, I can tell you for a fact we've both read this book. Ah. Uh, 
This is the sound and the fury. It is the sound and the fury. God, some of the authors keep butting their way in here. The novel ends with him having an affair with his girlfriend, whom he met at his high school. Bromden's character is so complex and such an exceptionally complex character that a reader's <laughs> prejudice is easily discerned. He makes By it how <laughs> complex the character is. <laughs> he makes it to the center of the narrative without much difficulty. The novel can be read as an open, compassionate study, not an exam book like a tale of two lonely souls in the woods with differing opinions of the other's worthiness for lack of an appropriate place for the other to live. There what is the fuck? <laughs> no idea. There is, however, a a twist to this story. The novel does not make a point to explain why the other is wrong. But does it have a point? I can't say I'm going to argue the point. Okay. <laughs> um, so what I'm hearing here is that it's a love story. Okay. About That's... complex characters uh-huh. um, that are really complex. And did I mention that they're complex? <laughs> uh-huh. I also understand that... Uh, it gets to the middle of the story, and then you're kind of like, what's the point? <laughs> I'm not going to argue the point, though. Uh, but I think it is important to consider that it does not make anything important. The novel is set in a future where the two main characters are, in the present, being punished for their actions by a prison sentence. The sentence for battery is reduced to life with the rest of the prison population. <laughs> <laughs> Weird way to say life in prison. There is no punishment or an appeal process for those convicted of crimes. In this world, the only other prisoners are the children in the household. (laughs) Okay. I mean, that bit of it makes me think it's like a... I would have thought Clockwork Orange. Maybe it's like 1984? One more thing. And there are only the men. Okay. Oh, it's a gay love story. (laughs) Um, It's not 1984. Mmm, gay 1984. 1984. Yes. The novel is about three men in a house. They are the men. Uh, What's the Russian one? Uh, Chekhov. uh, Chekhov's gun. The Orchard? Something about selling the family orchard? Cherry Orchard? Yeah. No. I mean, you wouldn't say it with such (laughs) surprise if that was the right answer. (laughs) The Cherry Orchard? Yeah. You got it. (laughs) <laughs> uh, we are told that it is not only the men who are guilty of crimes and sentenced to life. Sentenced to life. What a wonderful sentence. Sentenced but the to women, life with the prison population. But the women, too, who are given life. The women are given life. The men are sentenced, <laughs> sentenced to, to life. life. Sounds a bit like life itself, doesn't it? That was accidentally a Blackpool quote. I K is almost <laughs> what I said. I know. <laughs> we are told on one hand that is the that it is the men who are in prison. Uh, where where is it? Oh, who are in a place of honor and safety. On the other hand, that is the it is that it is the women who are the abusers and perpetrators. On the one hand, <laughs> the men are the victims. On the other hand, the women are the perpetrators. Okay, so it's. This feels like a really sexist story. Okay. It's of a time, I guess. Sure, sure. Uh, shower. 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 Please shower before podcasts. <laughs> um, men are imprisoned and the women are the perpetrators. Uh, Ooh, that actually, when you put it like that, it's actually a, that's pretty good. Is it one flew over the cuckoo's Yeah, nest? yeah. You did it. 
Hell yeah. <laughs> I feel like I'm doing better than I have you any right to. You are doing really good. <laughs> Why? What? I don't know. Ooh. Am I cheating? Am I chief? Blank's story is very different from the original story that had Blank narrating his own life as Blank. It is a story of the early years of childhood and a novel about two brothers. It is a tale of love, rejection, and rejection, so is it, so it is an easy <laughs> reading. I would recommend reading this book. <laughs> I, would, I would recommend reading this book to anyone with any reading experience. In it, we learn, in it, we learn of Blank's second wife, Elizabeth Ann Pierce, who has lost her home and has moved, who has been moved to a convent. The story begins as she tries to escape her parents' custody. She does not escape with, she does not escape with no protection, just with her own mother. Her mother is in jail in St. Louis after she died. Okay. Anything? Anything? A tale of two brothers, Mm. one of whom has a second wife who escaped a convent Mm. with her mother as protection. (laughs) She finds out that her father is a member of an orphanage. There she is sent to visit. A member of an orphanage? (laughs) That's what we're calling them these days. Is Uh, he an orphan or is he like the caretaker? I think he's an orphan. Um, He's a card carrying member of an orphanage. (laughs) Uh, There she is sent to visit her family and a friend in her home. She is not at all impressed by this orphanage. Oh, sorry. This isn't a good enough orphanage for you. (laughs) She meets her mother on the porch and asks her for the little girl. She does not take it well. Her her mother's not sure where she is from. It seems she might be hiding somewhere or not. Okay, yeah. Is this like... She is not... She is at the orphanage, but her father is not at home, and she has no idea where she is from. This this is some real, like, (laughs) existential, no one knows who they are, where they're from. She makes it to a local grocery store, but is stopped by the owner who claims that there was a problem. Uh, Anything? Got anything? None of this has helped at all. I really thought that this one was gonna, like, make up some good shit, but it is off the rails. Is, Is it... So, I'm... I'm going to abandon everything about, like, the female protagonist and the mother. Good, and I think this you is should. just about two brothers. Okay. And I, so I know the list that I gave you was, like, the past hundred years. So I gotta say, oh. it included Huck Finn. I added But I think it's more. Huck Finn. It's not Huck Finn. Huck Finn. Tom Sawyer. Brothers. Huck Sawyer. Uh, yeah, brothers from other mothers. <laughs> um, I did, I, I grabbed some, I, I found a li- another list and I added some I'm more, like, but... Going through in my head, I'm like, are Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde brothers? <laughs> okay, wait. Let me see if I can get some some other good shit for you here. Is it The Sound and the Fury Part 2? Electric Boogaloo? The Sound Also Furies? Too Sound, Too Furious? Ooh, very good. Too Sound. That sounds like something an Irish person would say when too, you do something good. Far Too Sound. Uh, two sound. You're grand. You're very good. I actually really like two sound. Um, all right. I, I, I went back to the, to the brothers here. Both brother, both brothers, both brothers have been orphans and the first two books tell the story of their experience as orphans. As for blank, he is very interested in the other orphans lives and is looking forward to seeing where their lives end up. This book is the first story to use Mitch and his son-in-law's name and the story of the two brothers in general is similar. There are many other story elements to this story, and it's a great read. <laughs> There's is a lot a of Dickens story. Uh huh. Is this Oliver Twist? It is not. Is this Great Expectations? It is. 
is okay. <laughs> There's a lot of orphan going <laughs> yeah, on there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know where all that lady stuff came from but uh you think did there's Pip any have a secret brother name do you think that there's anybody named mitch in a single dickens story there can't be certainly right? not <laughs> i mean that name wasn't invented until like 1960 right uh yeah i think you're right yeah who's like the first if we go mitch disambiguation okay. who's the first mitch <laughs> the titular mitch titular mitchiller <laughs> I'll look for the earliest born Mitch I can find. Mitch Daniels, 1949. Okay. Mitch McConnell, 1942. Oh, okay. Mitch Miller, 1911, American oboist. Oh. It seems like it was a a short name for the last name Mitchell for a while. Well, okay, yeah. And then people started using it as a given name in the early 1900s, starting with the oboist. Okay. Traveling through the islands of the Andes would be a challenge, but it would not be difficult. One has a hard time believing okay. that the first settlers would be explorers. They lived for hours on either side of the world's largest map or on the road that <laughs> led to the mainland. And in, in this, when you're just somewhere for hours, do you consider that you, be, you living there for like, do I live at my office for hours during the day? I I took it more to mean like you're not talking about people you're talking about like bugs or something that <laughs> live for hours because they only live as far as the far ends of the map. Oh yeah, that's that's probably what it's talking about. And in the same time that they traveled through some land that no longer exists, they would be caught and tried. The island was once called a gold mine for the pirates who traveled there. In fact, most of the island's residents were said to have lived there for hundreds of years, from the time they first discovered the island to the present day. They were known to ride horses... Horses! They were... (laughs) They were known to ride horses and boats of the, quote, golden age. They were known for riding on their horse, (laughs) etc. South America, an island, Robinson Crusoe. Mm. Robinson Crusoe, no. Mm. One day you are going to do the, hmm, yes. The men of the island were so small, but so fast and skilled that they could not be seen for miles. Got it. Gulliver's Travels. <laughs> no, you know, you'd really think, but no. What? Right? <laughs> they were so small. They were so small. <laughs> Forgive me, or whatever the hell that <laughs> Oh, you know I do love a good plum reference. <laughs> I uh, ate the small man who were on the <laughs> island. I ate the small man who was on my glass. You were probably saving him for <laughs> the next round of kings. <laughs> so uh, the men of the island were so small. So they had to be transported to their new world, usually by ships, usually by horses or by boats. <laughs> a lot of options here. Ships, horses, boats. Yeah. Ships, boats, what's the difference? The treasure was usually a pile of broken bones and broken pieces of old clothes or clothing. One person (laughs) Uh, could die instantly, but most of the rest would survive. I thought you were going to say were broken old bones or whatever, or broken promises. (laughs) Uh, Treasure, Mm -hmm. pirates, Mm -hmm. treasure island. Mm -hmm. You did it. Yes. Good. (laughs) Yes. 
It can be seen as an attempt to build a, reali a realistic and emotional experience of the superhero story by giving audiences an idea of the world as a whole and a glimpse into what the world can be and can't be like. The characters are recovering from what they were raised with from what they were raised without the help of technology and their families. The plot centers on an unknown, quote, superhero who is forced to find his place in society. The story was told as an experiment with fictional events in which the protagonists had to be brought up with the stories they were told from childhood. The revelation of a new hero is told by a, quote, new age, which is an alternate reality created by one of the villains. The hero can be seen as a good old-fashioned, quote, turtle boy these here <laughs> is that a phrase a good old-fashioned turtle boy there's no way i'm looking it up <laughs> these heroes can be seen as the heroes who grew up in a life of crime and crime and crime and crime wow and crime and crime no i'm the good old-fashioned turtle boy does not seem to be a phrase it's a book about superhero yeah a, a superhero uh-huh yeah what <laughs> what <laughs> What? <laughs> Make an actual book superhero. Oh, is it Watchmen? It's Watchmen, yeah. Hey. 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 It's I'm Watchmen here. <laughs> but yeah, so that was uh that was right with Transformer. And um it's a super fun tool to play around with. Um I this is the first time I've really kind of harnessed using Write with Transformer, and uh, it is a lot easier to use than I thought. I don't know what was happening. I feel like the last time I tried to use it or something, like, I was having, like, connection issues or something, and stuff wasn't loading, so I was like, what's that supposed to be happening here? But this time it worked fine, um, and it was great. Um, super easy Good. to write with, and uh, <laughs> very funny. Um, That'll, the audience will be the judge of that, I guess. No. Okay. Yeah. Fuck off, audience. Um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so you can find that at transformer.huggingface.co. Um, definitely play around with it. It is super, super fun. Um, and, uh, yeah, if you want to send us some fun, uh, some fun descriptions of any kind of media that, that you, that you're interested in, um, written with a transformer, we would love to hear it. And you can do that a number of ways. You can... Email us at robots at batcamp.org. You can also tweet at us at robot typewriter. And that's it. We live on a website called Batcamp, and our theme song is Video Challenge by Anna Monaguchi. Uh, yeah, and, and uh, I'll finish it off by reading the description of just one of my favorite books, one of my favorite dystopian novels. Novels. Uh, novels. 1984 by George Orwell. Uh, George Orwell's dystopian fantasy is the work of a brilliant and committed individual. I think this was written by George Orwell. And, uh, <laughs> like, and like all he has imagined is a great work of fiction. Um, <laughs> wow. Uh, it is not surprising then that with its overabundance of violence and oppression, the novel manages to portray an American society as savagely totalitarian as opposed to a utopian world of liberty, justice, freedom, and freedom of thought. To put this into context, as with the previous dystopian novel, 1984, you remember it's 1984? It's prequel 1983. <laughs> 1984 was the second dystopian novel ever. Um, 1984 is the, is the novel that has been widely read by American students, in a large part because it has been translated into a major Western language. This <laughs> English? <laughs> This is the story of a young college student from in the middle of the 70s and a group of students known as, quote, the punk club 
are being forced to be subservient members of a group called the Punk Club of New York, which, (laughs) which, as Orwell wrote, was created to protect this small group of, quote, sloven-looking young men from an imminent invasion by the white people. In the middle of this war, the Punk Club is attacked by, quote, white men who threaten them with murder. (laughs) Okay, okay, okay. All right, all right, all right, all right. Now, ladies. I didn't yeah. like the tone I said that with. Now, ladies. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> My dears, what is cooler than being cool? Why, I would say it's being ice cold. Please lend me some sugar, for I am your neighbor. <laughs> oh, but of course, dear. <laughs> 